Hey guys, on this podcast, I had Thishram on. Thishram's a YouTuber and TikToker. On his YouTube channel, he does miscellaneous readings related to SB articles and SB tales. And on his TikTok, he does numerous skits or reactions to anything SCP related. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you're following us. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you review us. That helps a lot. And if you just enjoyed it in general and want to share the word, that's great too. The more you guys help me means the more time I can put into the podcast. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. So, hey, sure. Nice to have you on the podcast. How's it going, bro? Good. It's nice and snowy where I live, so I'm fingers crossed maybe, maybe a white Christmas this year. Well, sunny California, not much hope where I am. Yeah, I'm over in New York. But I'm from so. Florida, so I'm from Florida. I've never had that in my life anyways. There you go. You're not missing anything. So, as per tradition, I like to ask for the first uh, episode of the podcast... What is your favorite SCP if you have one? So I have two tiers of favorite SCP. Uh, my standby comment, uh, my standby response is from when I was really big into the wiki for the first time. All of my pieces are from the 3000 era. Mm-hmm. Uh, 3999 is a emotional roller coaster. It is a surreal mishmash of an article so many people say it doesn't even deserve to be an article it should be a tale but i adore the way that it subverts mechanics and goes here there everywhere in service to its story so i will staunchly defend that article until the day i die uh that is tied with scp 3043 which is just a pulpy film noir script made into an article, and it is hilarious. And then tying that those two is SCP-008-J, simply titled Jeff. Oh, I love and Jeff. And Jeff yeah. is the best character. That, I, that's one I would love to do, like a like a background inside joke for like if I ever did another SCP film, where just Jeff is there in the background, and you can kind of find <laughs> Jeff Easter eggs through the multiple uh, videos and stuff. In the back, there's just this dude arguing with a mobile task force agent, and that's Jeff and Commander Price going at it again. Exactly, yeah. Don't, don't even have to acknowledge it. Just for the fans that know him, he's, they know what's up. But my answer can't be that simple as those three, because since I've been in the community for like seven years, and that's always been my answer, those top three, I found so many stories that should be in it, but just can't top out those three. Hmm. And so I give special honorary mention to... SCP-5175, which is titled Death Knife. <laughs> and Death Knife is a, is a concept that shouldn't work. It is a samurai sword with the soul of a dead samurai who chooses to be its wielder and give its powers a otaku weeb security guard <laughs> and a mall. Oh, and he's a terrible one. person and it's really funny and it's so well written that you're always laughing with the article and the story is actually really freaking good. And then uh, that one's by Jay Dune. And then the other one that is an honorary mention is SCP-5031 by Pepper's Ghost. And that's titled Yet Another Murder Monster. 
but mm, it mm. is such a heartwarming story about this neglected creature that we left in containment isolated and we rehabilitated it and now it's a concert pianist and a master chef. <laughs> yeah, I read that one too. That was a nice twist. So So that's my favorite SCP rant. I think that's the most extensive favorite list we had today. Uh, quick, though, uh, for people who don't know 399, since that was the first one you mentioned, what's like a quick rundown on that SCP? All right, so 3999, titled I Am the Center of Everything That Happens to Me, is uh, a reality-bending entity that decided to pick one dude, Researcher Talaran, and torture them for infinite realities for infinite timelines just to be a dick and so Talaran is murdered in billions of creative ways Talaran is tortured in billions of creative ways Talaran's family is tortured and murdered in billions of creative ways sometimes Talaran just gets to live out their life in a happy way only to have it stolen right before he dies and thrust back into the mess Talaran is dragged through several different SCPs. Talaran is dragged through the Harry Potter universe. Talaran is dragged through an seemingly infinite iteration of the aristocrats joke before finally overcoming the entity, which is a stand-in for the author who has writer's block, and that's why this one character keeps getting messed with. <laughs> uh, that's good, yeah. I like that. Uh, so... Now that we got that out there, people check those out if you haven't read them. Um, so you kind of briefly mentioned this, but you've been in the community for seven years now. Um, how do you want to tell people like how you got into SCP, how you got started, and like how you eventually ended up where you are now? So the story of my initial finding out about SCP is completely forgotten. I do not know oh, wow. how or where I learned oh. about SCP. It was somewhere between seven to five years ago. And what had happened was I was with my friends running a D&D campaign. Hmm. Uh, technically, it was a fake core game run by run on the Dresden Files fate system. Uh, Dresden Files being my favorite book series. And I ran this game for about two years. It is an urban fantasy setting. So it's a wizard detective in modern day Chicago. Oh, cool. And so... I was looking for interesting creatures in a lore online and must have at some point come across the SCP wiki. And so what I would do is I took all of my characters who we had a wizard, we had a fey folk, we had a normal police investigator, we had a bunch of characters, and they all, at the end of one episode, pass out, don't know what happens. And then the next week, they wake up in prison cells. And they're like, where the hell are we? They find their way to break out, and they are at the bottom level of a Foundation facility. They have been contained because their group is anomalous, and they have to fight their way out of the facility. Oh, wow. Okay. And they encounter multiple SCPs along the way. Uh, they eventually are taken under the wing of the Foundation, called an honorary mobile task force, and a new player character enters who is a mobile task force agent sent to keep on them. And they have, like, all this SCP kit, and it's and they go through the story with the group for the rest of the game. Sometimes, during a lull in the main story, they'd be sidelined 
into another SCP containment campaign before getting back to the main event. That actually reminds me, I'm sure you've heard of this subreddit called like Unexpected SCP, but I can imagine you're just starting out a D&D campaign and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, whoa, now we're like doing an SCP D&D campaign. It just comes out of nowhere and then it goes away again. Oh yeah, so that was the story of how at some point I found the SCP and then as a person, I have always wanted to do film, theater, voiceover, performance, all of those artistic things. And so, a, about six years ago, six or seven years ago now, oh god, that means that the game was more like eight or nine years ago, lord. Uh, <laughs> about five, six, seven years ago, I moved from Florida to California. I moved out to, with my then spouse, uh, still friends, but we moved out here, her for work, me following her, and even though I'm in the north California area, San Francisco, not down in LA where it would make sense to look for film work. I still work in some commercials, some small modeling, things like that. And I started reading SCP stories with my wedding singer microphone. Oh, wow. And yeah, I was a wedding singer for a while and I used the microphone to record SCPs and I put them on YouTube as a voiceover demo to send out for gigs. And actually, they got me my freelance voiceover gig that I have to this day. But while I was sending out these voiceover demos, I noticed people were actually watching the YouTube videos. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> so while I was trying to do all this other stuff, I also started recording more SCPs and then changed all the branding of that from my name to site 42 Hmm. and built an audience and for about five years i plugged away at this youtube channel we've done over 500 videos now of scp readings and stuff like that uh some exploration uh explanation essays back in the day and then some live streaming the charity streams for halloween stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah And over the course of five years, Site42 on YouTube got to about 10,000 subscribers, which is no slouch. It's definitely more than most people will ever get. But when you are ambitious as an artist and you see people with millions of viewers, you want more and you want to push and you want to fight further and further. Yeah. And then this summer, TikTok happened. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I... I was doing YouTube for all these five years and growing at my pace. And then the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. My day job as a dancing teacher hit really hard times because it's hard Mm -hmm. to ballroom dance when you can't touch people. Yeah. And so one of my other art friends is like, hey, TikTok is really freaking good at getting you out to people who don't know about you. The algorithm is built for that. I just got on a couple months ago and I'm at 60,000 followers and I'm like, damn, okay. (laughs) And so I get on TikTok and I waffle for a little bit. I don't know what I'm going to make videos of. This is why I didn't join Vine in the first place. But I found my niche. I found my memes. And then after my memes, I found my bread and butter, which is the if X were an SCP, how would the foundation contain it? Mm, yeah. And 
the channel went from 25,000 followers to 200,000 in two weeks. God. Yeah, I remember you. And... I, I was quick thing. I was just, I remember you popping in on Discord once and you're like, guys, I'm like the only person on TikTok. I think at the time, because um, obviously there's more SP TikTokers now. And you're like, I've literally had the most traction on this than like five years of YouTube. And we're just like, what? Like, I remember I just couldn't even believe like the, the explosive growth you were going through. It's insanity how the TikTok algorithm works. Uh, my... <laughs> Okay, funny story. I was in a commercial once for the music karaoke app Shmuel. I've uh, never heard of that. You may have seen their advertisements around or something like that. But they're based in San Francisco. They had a posting for an ad. I got in. And the ad was paid, which was good. It was professionally run, which was good. But the concept for the commercial was all of us involved singing a song and most of us were either not singers or were singers like me, <laughs> but were not in vocal range for the song we were supposed to sing. Oh, no. <laughs> and so they pushed this video on their ad platforms on Facebook where it got over a million views. And as you can imagine, the troll comments are gold. Oh, man. They eviscerated us and with good meaning. And so my entire drive as an artist is, all right, I need to make something that gets more than 1.6 million views just to have something in my career that's better than that. And now I have TikTok videos that get one and a half million views over a matter of a week. And it's just like, oh, how things have changed. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, can I say that you are the biggest SCP TikToker out there? Because it seems that way from my perspective. Uh, there are two other big names that I know about. Mm -hmm. One of them is at he so swag. Mm. And I think he's got like two or 300,000 followers more than me. And he like puts up a picture of the SCP and explains it. But he's also been around a lot longer than I have. I only oh, okay. started in yeah. May. Mm -hmm. And then there's another TikToker who is in the SCP TikTok community, but also branches out and does other things. Hmm. But Starboy Blue has 1.1 or 1.2 million followers. Oh, wow. Uh, and so they are a very prominent face for SCP TikTok, even though it's not the only thing they do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I personally don't use TikTok, just putting it out there for people. Um, my girlfriend has been desperately trying to change that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you help too, because I... I talk to you a bit but before kind of just asking you questions about tiktok in general and um like for me personally i do like live action and now I'm moving into 3d animation short films so i couldn't really see a way to use tiktok um but you i think have kind of helped change my opinion there because i didn't realize that like there actually is an scb community on it um i've yet to actually invest the time in tiktok so in the future i think hopefully um i will no promises um but so I just want to tie back. Um, you touched on this a little bit without moving out to California. Um, and I feel like this must have been years ago, but I feel like me and Jake were talking to you or it might have been Jake was talking to you about um, you're hoping to create a more like physical SCP community. Um, and that was part of the reason why you moved to California. Is that is that correct? I'm, I'm a little hazy. It's an old uh, conversation. So California's goal for me is 
at first was personal. I mm-hmm. want to get into film. I want to be on TV. I want to be in movies. Acting is like my dream. Acting has always been my goal since I was in elementary school, writing skits that I forced friends of mine to perform in on the playground. Hmm. I'm a giant nerd. <laughs> uh, but as I've come from, uh, as I've come to California and worked in the industry and done things and gotten more engrossed in SCP, what I've realized is that we have something in SCP that no other form of media has because of our creative common stuff. Mm. Anybody can share it. Anybody can make it. Yeah. And so in one way that limits us because you'll never see a Netflix SCP series because they can't own the copyright and trademark. They can't just make their merch and be done with it. If they have to share, they don't want it. Yeah. And so... Uh, you'll see the best thing we're going to get to a AAA SCP game for now. I'm actually just finished it right now is the game Control. And mm, yeah, yeah. Control, they seriously made an SCP game, but filed all the serial numbers off so that they could make it their own thing. It's the Federal Bureau of Control. These are, are objects of power. They're not anomalies. Mm. They're not SCPs. They even have all the documents, which most people are going to go through the game and not read. But as an SCP nerd, I'm sitting here reading every single one of them. Have you seen any, like, secret, like, this is definitely an SCP from, like, some of the articles? I haven't. They made sure that things are different Mm -hmm. so that they don't get called on it. Because if it's, for everything that's copyright or trademark, as long as you're, like, 10% different, you can't get sued over it. Okay. So, like, they have a... (laughs) They have a post office box that mails letters to mailboxes instantly or something like that. Mm, okay. I forget what the P.O. box is, but they have different items that you connect with to get your powers. But then they have objects that do A, B, or C. I think it's like the frigi- refrigerator is, unless someone's looking at it, it will murder you. So it's SCP-173, <laughs> okay. yeah, okay. but yeah. it's a refrigerator instead. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I've yet to play that one, but I've heard a lot, a lot of good things about that. I think the story is, I give it like, I give the game a solid seven or eight. Like, Mm, it really immersed me in the SCP feeling, which gives it a lot of points. Uh, The ending sequence went from super freaking good to, I'm a little confused by why you did that. Mm. But that's me being picky. I'm a very picky artist. (laughs) No, I definitely relate to that feeling. Oh, yeah, so the, the, the reason talking about this Netflix and uh, control thing is that being in California, I've worked in some films, I've worked in some commercials and web series, stuff like that, and I've met people, I've met filmmakers, I've worked on sets, and I have these contacts. And what I want to do now is radically different from why I came to California in the first place. Mm, okay. I came out here to be an actor. I came out here to perform. But now... What I find myself doing more and more as I've run a dance teaching business, as I've run this or that, is I want to get in, I want to be a producer. Mm. I want to turn Site42 in a production company where we get the greater community to crowdfund these things. So yeah, the way I see it is if those 400,000 people all gave me a dollar a month, mm. that's four million. Do- that's like $3 million a year. 
and then I take a chunk of that and I hire three or four indie devs on to make a game. Uh, those guys make their game, the game gets released, it's free because the SCP community freaking it's free to pirate with Creative Commons anyways, so mm. once it's released, people can just take the source code and do with it what they will, but hopefully, if there is a crowdfunding community, if everyone is loyal to the cause, then they will donate a little bit when the game comes out, or they will keep their monthly donation going, and more people will join the community, therefore snowballing a larger and larger group. I have Team A making a game and maybe I've got a I made a video on TikTok about what kind of SCP games you would want to see mm. and of course you get the most common thing which is okay a mobile task force adventuring to contain SCPs yeah most people because first person shooters as a game concept are so ubiquitous mm -hmm. the first thing people think about are shooters but I would like to see the undertale of SCP games where it's this very deeply written SCP story with emotions and kindness and helping creatures and things like that. I have a concept for a game that is based on SCP-3999, actually. Oh. Where yeah. if you take the tortures of James Talleran and made them into a game, you could have a horror anthology game where, mm. let's say, there's 100 individual levels and... 100 is just an arbitrary number, but you have 100 individual levels, and they all are almost essentially different games, like a 10 to 15 minute experience each, and each run through the game takes you through a random smattering of 10 levels, and each level has lore Easter eggs that you could get to change the ending of the game you get. Each level has alternate exits to get to different levels so that you can experience more of the game if you're going hunting. Hmm. And then you get to the end with the battle of SCP-3999 versus Talaran, and you get the Talaran destroys the monster ending, or the monster destroys Talaran ending, or it, or Talaran actually cuddles the monster and makes it happy, <laughs> and that's like the good ending. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, while game dev team is doing this, I have indie web series team who's like, okay, I like your concept here. Uh, for instance, Dark Math Films is based in Pennsylvania. They just they were the ones who helped Mr. Clay make the SCP-096 short film that came out a year or so back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they just missed their Kickstarter for their SCP Academy web series. Mm -hmm. They want to make a web series about agents and researchers in Academy. Mm. I would love to say, hey, I've seen your web series work. I know it's good. I know that you guys are in, have worked on Netflix productions. You guys are skilled. You know what you're doing. Here is your budget. Make your project. Because the community is, is all online. There's no central hub beyond like the scp web website which most people don't go to anyways most people are off-site fandom like followers of me followers of the vulgan stuff like that yeah so if uh i am a award-winning community organizer at my local ymca <laughs> 
I, I literally have an award for community organizing, and I want to use my community organizing skills to become a figurehead, a funnel where the community at large pools our resources so that these things can actually happen. Mm, because okay. the Dark Math Films Kickstarter needed $20,000. They had 2000 when they got to me. I helped them get to three, but I didn't have much to throw at them in the first place. Yeah. And I only had a week to get them built up. If I already had a budget because the community was behind me, I would have just handed it to them and they would have made their thing. Hmm. And so I've been told before that Sherman, this is never going to happen. You can't herd that many cats into a funnel to fund these kind of projects. But I am freaking Alexander Hamilton from the musical, not from real life. <laughs> I am PT Barnum from the greatest showman, not oh, from man. real life. All my faves are so problematic oh, man. in real life. But I want to rally the community so that we can get these bigger projects. I mean, hey, go for it. I mean, there's nothing to lose, right? I do not like being told no. I have ambitions and I have a plan and we're going to do it. Yeah, go for it, man. That's all I can say. I, I definitely... Uh, I mean, that's part of why I'm doing the podcast is uh, on a much smaller scale. I like the idea of just kind of having a more person to person interaction with people that I feel like I've always had like glancing interactions with SB YouTubers or authors and things like that. But I've never like actually had a one on one. We talk for an hour or so and then people get to actually see the human behind the screen and, you know, all that stuff. You're what you've said is exactly right. What as as I said about the fandom, the fandom is so splintered and mm -hmm. separated that it's really hard to get traction on bigger projects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in the same thing, all of the SCP content creators are very fractured and insular. Yeah. It is, and that comes by design of YouTube schedules and things like that, where it's very hard to have free time if you're trying to make a video every week. Mm -hmm. I've worked with Volgan, I've worked with Samaria, and I've worked with all these people once or twice, and we're friendly and we're cool, but it's just a time. It's hard to get resources so that you are free with a day job, with content creation, to work on these bigger projects. But every year for the past two years, so, you know, two years worth, I've run a 24-hour live stream on Halloween for the San Francisco LGBT Center. Mm. And so we tell spooky stories on Halloween and I stream from midnight to midnight on Halloween. And so like at 12 to 6 in the morning when America's asleep, it's all the European fans who are awake. And then when they all go to bed, the Americans are here again. Mm. But during that stream, I invite all of the content creators I'm friendly with to come on. And Samarian was on the show for, like, God, 75% of it with me. He and I are buds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this year, I invited so many people who I hadn't interacted before. Mm. And, like, Tanfarad is wiki staff and a super bro and friend, I guess, bro, friend, <laughs> person. <laughs> Pronouns and all that things. But, uh, ta-ta-ta. My brain sank in that. Yeah, I play D&D with these people now. I love the community that we have, and all the creators are super cool, but 
you can't get us away from things because all of us are held up in day jobs and content creation and we have no social lives. Yeah. So the 24 hour stream is like my one day a year to hang out with everybody who I like and see everybody and do the thing. I'd like a situation where we could all do that more regularly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a struggle. I mean, to me, I think community is extremely, extremely important. Um, and I mean, I've looked into this a lot about how like social media, it's that double-edged sword where it allows you to connect more people, but does it allow you to connect on a deeper level? Um, in some ways, yes, in some mm-hmm. way, no. Um, for me, like growing up, I've always like been like trying to, I've like, I've always been very like into creating friend groups and kind of taking other friend groups and trying to mix them together. doesn't always work out, <laughs> but I, I definitely relate to that feeling of like wanting to kind of pull these really talented, all these really like resourceful people. And you know, you're, you're stronger united than separated. There's a lot more I feel like we could accomplish if we did uh, work together a bit more, um, but it's hard. Yeah. Obviously everyone has obligations and, and things like that. It's a lot of juggle. And thankfully, the community at least doesn't like backbite and fight each other. Yeah. You know, there are communities who are like, oh my God, they read the same SCP as me, the freaking jerk. Yeah. They're going to take my views on YouTube. And it's like, at least we are to the point where we know a rising tide helps all, lifts all ships. Mm-hmm. And so we're all willing to work together, but we need the ability to do so now. Yeah, I mean, I I really believe, and I don't really see the SP fan base as this like limited resource. I really do believe that, like, because I've I mean, I've literally seen it with Bung, with Evan, with um, some other YouTubers I've seen where they've brought in so many new people who didn't even know SP was, and because of that, then they started to watch my content. They started to watch maybe Vulgan or you or Sumerian. Um, it like brings in new fan bases the more we reach out. I don't really see it as oh, if someone watches Evan, they're not going to watch me. You know, things like that. I think that's a really toxic mentality to have. Or just, it's not even realistic. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, on TikTok, especially because the algorithm will push you very easily. Like on YouTube, no one finds me unless they're looking at SCP content specifically. Yeah. But on TikTok's algorithm, my God, I, I am constantly fielding the question, what is SCP? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So much that I've got, I have finally crafted... I have finally, finally crafted the perfect fits within a tweet response to what is an SCP to explain it to people that's really easy. All you have to say is SCP is a creative writing community focused on a secret organization that hides monsters and magic from the general public. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty clean. Yeah, that's pretty clean. You go further than that and there's creative... Oh, it's a creative writing community and fandom. That's important. Mm. Because then you get into the YouTubers and the TikTokers and the game makers and all of that. Yeah, because I definitely have talked to people who have a hard time right away seeing that the site is not just it. There's That's not even like the core of... I mean, it is like the core of the community, but there's so much more outside of just the site. Oh my lord, I've done, vi- I've done like a five video TikTok series on it because... The differences beside between the different facets of the community, like the on-site authors and wiki staff versus the TikTok fans and the aminos and how different the communities are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
like so many people off-site don't realize that the SCB Wiki authors don't care about 173 mm-hmm. or 096 or 049. All these, all the most popular, like 682, all the most popular off-site characters who are like iconic, archetypal, archetypical characters, the, the on-site community doesn't care at all. We have a completely different rubric of these are the articles you need to see. And it's just so funny that it's like that, that it's such a dichotomy. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, even like from content creator to content creator, I can see the different like flavors and tones to each community, um, even though they're all SCP fans. Mm-hmm. So you, you're kind of talking about trends with TikTok. Uh do you personally use TikTok like on your free time, like just for fun? I do. The uh, I I like I am in my thirties, mm-hmm. like most people my age. When TikTok first came out, I was just like, "Oh, it's a bunch of teenagers dancing, whatever," and I ignored it for a long time. I only recently saw news from like last year, where like Matt Pat from Game Theory, who if you don't know, besides his YouTube channel. He does a lot of consulting for other YouTube creators on how to work the algorithm, hmm. how to make your videos best so people watch them. He does a lot of that mechanical stuff that makes you a better creator. Hmm. And so while I've never worked with him, I, I get compared to him a lot. People are like, you sound like Matt Pat. <laughs> I, I guess thank you. I have a role model <laughs> for how to run the business. Yeah. But the... Uh, he was talking about last year how TikTok's algorithm is going to get non-big people seen super easily. Yeah. And so you'll find people, uh, I, as I said, I bumped from 25K to 200K in two weeks because the algorithm caught me at a good time. Uh, I will often, uh, part of my content is highlighting ARGs because... In yeah. character, it's really fun, like the SCP Foundation, to comment on mysteries or anomalous things and whip up the audience around them. Mm-hmm. And there's an ARG right now called PB Here that started running about a month or two ago. And it's got maybe 20 entries on its TikTok channel. And I was there for like the second one because people will tag me in these videos to alert me that they exist. And... This person went from 6,000 followers to 500,000 over the course of two days. Wow. And then they are currently two months in at 1.3 million. And it's like, man, wow. Okay, so this is actually a critique I've heard. And I would, I think you're the perfect person to ask this, given how you've been in the, in the mix for a bit now. Uh, but one of the major critiques I've heard from other people when they talk about TikTok is... They kind of say, well, oh, the numbers are cheaper. Like the the followers and things like that aren't as meaningful as they are seeing on uh, YouTube or Instagram. Because like, I know, I'm pretty sure this is right and you can correct me, but like you can't directly make money off of TikTok views. The only real way to make money off of TikTok is through selling stuff or through live streams. Um, and then picking back on that, they also kind of claim that because TikToks are so quick that the audience is very transient and they're not really actually like, as committed to you as they are to say YouTuber, Instagram follower. Do you agree with that? Any of that? Like what's kind of like your opinion on on those kind of things? I disagree with all of it and I am going to dissect it piece by piece. Go for it. So 
first of all, numbers being cheap on TikTok. Numbers being cheap as in easy to get, I'll give you. Mm -hmm. But the way the TikTok algorithm works versus the YouTube algorithm is that on YouTube, your videos are pushed to your followers and then not all the time. That's the same as TikTok. Mm. Um, My YouTube... Now, remember how I said it took me like five years to get to 10,000 followers on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. Now that TikTok has blown up, I'm currently in the process of shuffling TikTok followers to YouTube. Mm. And since I got on TikTok, I've now got 22,000 YouTube followers. So six mm, months yeah, later, that's, not bad. Yeah, you doubled. That's, that's doubled because people have found me and I've convinced them to move over. Mm, yeah. Um... My YouTube videos right now, when, so, backstory, trauma, blah, blah, blah. When I was on YouTube, I had a really good momentum going for a while. And then I ended up getting divorced from my spouse at the time. And, you know, that leads to bad things. That leads to depression. That leads to low work yield. Yeah, that's right. And so, for a long time, I didn't maintain my channel properly. Mm. And my channel was to the point where it was dead. Hmm. Uh, Most people would actually quit their YouTube channel and start a whole new one from there, but I wasn't willing to do that. But a video with 20,000 followers on YouTube still typically nets me 200 to 400 views on the first day. Hmm. That's crazy low in my eyes. Uh, And the same thing goes on TikTok. In the first day, with 385,000 followers... I'll normally see somewhere between 2,000 to, let's say, 100,000 views on day one. Wow. So, number one, TikTok is still getting to a lot more people. Mm -hmm. And that's because TikTok's algorithm is per video rather than per channel. Mm. YouTube judges your whole channel based on cumulative growth. Whereas TikTok gives every video a chance between non-followers and followers. So you are much more likely to have a TikTok video go viral and spread as long as you can get that watch time up, which is always the metric on YouTube or TikTok. Mm -hmm. Hook people to watch a higher percentage of the video. The video will spread further. I also just ran an experiment... uh, on TikTok, I ran three videos that were identical, except for one thing. I asked one video to only like, one video to only comment, and one video to only share with another person. Hmm, okay. And even though the rules weren't followed, this is the internet after all, <laughs> they still were followed enough that I could get some data. Mm-hmm. And the shares video got... 10 times more views than the like or the comment video, Mm. which were both about identical. So just a heads up, I'm sure this is true on YouTube as well. If you want to help your content creators that you like, share their videos. Yes. Because the algorithm loves it. Now, on going into the connection with your followers, on TikTok, you are dealing with a much more ADHD mindset because you're dealing with one minute maximum videos. Mm -hmm. They actually just said that they're rolling out soon videos up to three minutes. And that's going to rock the community because that's so different from what we're used to doing. Yeah. 
but because of that, I mean, first of all, one minute videos are so easy to make that over the course of the last seven months I've been on TikTok, I have made nearly 700 videos. Wow. Now, some of those are written content where mm. it's like a tiny one minute essay on my part explaining something. Yeah. Some of those are my hypothetical if X were an SCP videos. Some of them are joke memes to hot music songs that are popular on TikTok because the algorithm adores those. Yeah. Uh, some of them are duets with uh, like random things I find that I could twist to be about SCP. Mm. Like one of my very recent videos is some guy, a photographer in New York taking a video of a skyscraper mm. that has a cloud in between him and the skyscraper, which is making the skyscraper blurry. And he's pretending it's a big deal. Like, Oh my God, is there a glitch in the matrix? <laughs> and that made me go, Oh, I wrote part of a series that dealt with the SCP universe being in the matrix. And so I made a video commenting on that where I just kind of sit there and I'm like, you're tagging the SCP foundation. This better be important. And then I realize that there's a glitch in the matrix, quote unquote, and freak out. And I'm like, guys, there's a ZK going on. <laughs> and that video has gotten 1.5 million views in the last week. And hilariously, it's gotten a bunch of people who don't know SCP because when videos are big, they get pushed to more people who aren't my followers. Yeah. Um, it's based on SCP-3426, which is a relatively unknown article in the offsite fandom. So now a gajillion people have now gone and read this little known article to get more intel to see what, I, what the hell I'm talking about. I also played a bit of a dirty trick. I told them that uh, in universe of 3426 and my follow-up tale, which is named Ignorance is Bliss... It is expressly stated that knowing the universe is the matrix causes the universe to act like you are a virus and try and destroy you. And so the foundation enacts what they call the ignorance is bliss protocol. That's the name of my tale. Mm -hmm. Ignorance is bliss. And so in my story or in my little one, like 10 second video, I have a big post that says three, four, two, six is happening Ignorance is bliss protocol activated. Do not research this article for your own good. <laughs> okay. And because yeah. I told them not to do it. They do it, of course. Everyone yeah. went and read the article. That's great. Reverse psychology. And so based on all of this, I have reached so many people. I've exposed them to a tale that they have no idea exists. Uh, I've gotten many people into SCP because now they're like, oh, this is a new fandom I could get into. And finally, these fans, whether or not, uh, when you talk about when you're connected to your fans, you're talking about the, what's called a parasocial relationship. Mm -hmm. And this is the one-sided relationship between the content creator and the fan, where the fan feels like they know a whole lot about the creator because they see them all the time. The creator's on their phone constantly. And... There are problems with that where the fans become too familiar. They get disappointed with you for not doing exactly what they want like they would when a friend would. Yeah. All this stuff. But on the other end of that spectrum is I have a 
weekly tradition now where I will make duet videos on TikTok with someone who has made fan art of me. Mm, yeah. And I can't keep up with it because people make fan art of me three or four times a day. I have them bookmarked so I can go through and look at them and appreciate them because I want to give them that answering your male kindness. Yeah. But there's a lot. Mm. And I don't... the. F- <sighs> Because you have so much time, because you have easy videos to make, and you can make so many, the fans get exposed to you a whole lot more in small chunks Mm -hmm. than they do to YouTube creators who is a 10-minute exposure, say, once a week. Yeah. I am on these people's phone three or four times a day versus even my YouTube videos. I do three videos a week. But that's still not a fraction of where I am on their TikToks. Mm. And I, in the last week, I keep telling people about Site42 Studios plans. Mm. I keep telling them my plans for content and people who enjoy my content. I People have, like, become patrons a lot. Mm. It's okay. because people feel that connection. They see me. They like what I'm doing. They want more of what I'm doing. They want what I plan to do in the future. They understand that because I have communicated it well, which is important. A lot of people have that problem is they don't communicate what they can do and what people can do to help them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I did not know I was made for TikTok, but I have fared better on the TikTok format than I have anywhere else. Found your niche. I have I have parasocial relationships with creators I love. I am a big fan of the much maligned nicknamed bread tube H bomber guy contrapoints <laughs> all these people I adore them mm-hmm. but I see them once a month cuz they make highly produced very good content that I appreciate mm-hmm. but it's different than decently produced but plentiful content on TikTok So I actually have a personal uh story that I can kind of relate to so I'm sure you know Blog Brothers of course um <laughs> yep back in their heyday they were making almost almost daily i think it was a couple times a week like four or five times a week um and that really got me to like form this kind of very weird loose parasocial relationship to john green and hank green um and then as they expanded i started following people that worked with hank green um and i can't remember his name which uh, shows you maybe <laughs> how long lasting these <laughs> parasocial relationships last. But there was a sheer chunk of time where like, I felt really invested in me. and like Weezy Waiter too. Um, these really high content, almost daily um, exposure things. Um, but at the same time I've heard, maybe this is my cynicism coming in, but I've heard like a lot of people seeing, saying that on the other side, like, so from the creator point of view that having so many parasocial, um, like interactions kind of made them constantly trying to meet expectations compared to where if you have a normal YouTube relationship, that's a bit more distant, they can kind of just do what they want. And the audience can just be more of a thumbs up or thumbs down. It's less of like a talking to a loose friend. And there can also be this weird thing where I guess what I'm trying to say, sorry, I'm like trying to form this in my head now is um, basically parasocial relationships. I think, can push people to have further and more blatant expectations um, 
that they would take more personally if they were broken. I think that's what I'm really trying to say. So it's almost like a double-edged sword where it's great because that person's more invested in you, but some people um, feel that they also have bigger like pressure on their shoulders because they feel that if they upset these people, um, it's going to hit them a lot harder. And, you know, it, it just feels a bit more um, deeper, uh, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, I like to say that I have four jobs. I have my day job teaching dance, although mm -hmm. pandemic, what are you going to do? I treat YouTube like a job. I treat TikTok like a job and I treat my freelance VO like a job. Yeah. And, uh, so I am busy all the time. I actually have been working seven days a week for the last year. Mm, wow. I only took Mondays off as kind of like a day off to recharge a month ago. Hmm. And so I've been working hard all the time trying to keep up with expectations. I've gone through my burnout. When I took my first Monday off, Yeah, I had a full-on panic attack in my shower for an hour. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you All of that stress that had been bubbling up had been... Uh, had to be let out somewhere, and I'm finally recovering a month later. That's but good. one thing I'll note is that that was the expectations I heaped on myself mm -hmm. because thankfully, at least in my parasocial situation, I have, n I always, uh, there was a scene, a YouTube video with Brian David Gilbert. Are you familiar? No, actually not. I've never heard of BDG is a big creator. He works for Polygon, I think it is, and he has his own channel. And at one point he grew a mustache mm. and the fans did not like this change to his face. Yeah. It was not what they were used to. Mm. And at one point he taped on a plastic over his mustache at the beginning of a video said, uh, I shaved my mustache, then ripped off the plastic. Just kidding. You're not my friend and you have no say over my bodily autonomy. And, of course, a group of his fans was like, yeah, you go, BDG. You're in control of your own life, and we love you for who you are. Yeah. And a contingent of fans was also, hey, I thought we were friends. Fuck you, dude. Yeah. And so part of what I try and do is I try to manage expectations. Mm, okay. I try to make sure everyone knows I am here. I am going to create content. I create it because I want to entertain you. And I'm making what I like. Otherwise, I wouldn't. But if you expect something from me that isn't in my views, that's just your expectation. And you need to check yourself on that. You need to see why you expected something that wasn't there. Mm. That's good. I think yeah. everybody needs to do that, really. No, I like how you, you've actually been directly addressing it. Because I think there is also this other concern that from the creator side, there's responsibility that if you're leading people on, who especially are very vulnerable, like for example, a lot of younger people, like growing up, I had a lot of hard times making friends. And I think that's also why I started to experience like parasocial relationships. Like that's when I was really invested in like Vlogbrothers and Easy Waiter and things like that. Um, but I feel like you addressing that directly kind of helps kind of prevent that. And it kind of reality checks people. And thankfully we're also becoming smarter as consumers. Yes. Yeah. When you and I were younger, this kind of thing wasn't studied. No. It didn't, it was all new. The internet was new. Having the ability to have millions of people watching you when you're just a normal dude wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. So 
with time, we are now in like the second, third, or fourth wave of YouTube TikTok creators, and we are gladly learning from the past mistakes, as are the viewers learning from what's happened to past creators. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, like, for example, something that I am not sure how to feel about, I think uh, over the past year I've been thinking a lot more about this, but, like, um, for example, my I have little cousins who are, like, eight, I think, now, um, and they're heavily into TikTok. And for a while that's why I really thought TikTok was, like, a children's thing. Um, so I think that partially kind of really skewed uh, my perspective on TikTok. Because, I mean, I thought it was basically like musically. I thought it was just this trendy thing. It'll disappear in a year. Whatever. Um, but thankfully, I guess I was proven wrong. Like, it seems like they're actually... Would you say there is a mature audience or it really is just teenagers and things like that? There is definitely a mature audience. Mm-hmm. And I, I only came on in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But that it seems like the pandemic and most of people my age losing their jobs in some way forced a lot of us onto the app just to find something novel to do. Mm, Okay. And so the algorithm is very good at catering to what you want to see. And so for me, TikTok is a lot of millennials. Mm -hmm. It's Hank green explaining a lot of things. (laughs) Yes. I'm a fan as well. (laughs) Uh, he's very big on TikTok. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, and his TikTok comment is fantastic. He actually likes it a lot because it's a different format the same way I am. Mm. And it gives you freedom to do things that you wouldn't put in a YouTube video. Mm. Um, I have I have millennial memes, like people making jokes about Homestar Runner, things that I remember, oh, wow. get yeah. my nostalgia on. Um, I've got a lot of leftist politics because I'm that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I know, I'm trying to start a commune production studio how could you have guessed (laughs) and my feed is very catered to me in a way where I don't see a lot of dancing kids Mm. like it's I thought it was musically and within like a day of using TikTok I was steered toward where I would fit in Mm. so it's very heavily pushed off there's like witch talk alt talk punk talk uh, LGBTQ TikTok, hmm. which I think is separate because I think there's gay TikTok and lesbian TikTok and trans TikTok as well that are like separate from each other, but co-mingling. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's horror art ARG TikTok. Uh, there's a trend of people uh, going to an abandoned place and creating their own ARG where I get tagged in those constantly. If, if they have a story, I'll cover it. But yeah. most of the time, it's just people walking around and not doing anything. And I'm like, this isn't worth <laughs> covering. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it definitely, I'm not sure what it was before the pandemic. But now, if you are a person, TikTok is worth looking into. Um, there is still the privacy concern. Yes. Now, yes. the and this gets into, I think you want to talk about the TikTok ban and that privacy concern. Do we want to pivot to that section? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that's basically how I found out more about TikTok and started paying more attention to it. Was do a lot of just hearing about that in the news. So, uh, I am not a political person, like a politician. Mm-hmm. I am not a science or tech person. I am an actor, singer, content producer, and that's about it. So, mm-hmm. all I know about the privacy issues that are very important is that 
there were things from your phone being taken and given to possibly given to China. And I say possibly because people are saying TikTok was scraping data. Mm-hmm. They are saying TikTok servers are not, uh, the Chinese government is not privy to what American TikTok does. Uh, but there are people who don't believe that. It goes back and forth. Yeah. So what I know is that the stuff that TikTok was scraping, at least what I was told, is not very different from what Facebook is spying on you about. Mm, okay. And so as someone who is on Facebook, as someone who is a content creator and has essentially said goodbye to my privacy in the first place, <laughs> it really didn't hurt me, at least from what I know, to stay on TikTok. Mm. But what it did is it benefited me because it's the by far the largest platform I have with the most people. Yeah. And so... In my eyes, it was give up a little privacy to the Chinese government, which, I mean, speaking politically, the Chinese government is one thing. The American government up until now has been its own problematic mess. So if you're giving it to the Chinese government, you're giving it to the American government, you're giving it to every government that's spying on us. I, uh, so that concerned me less than this is an opportunity to reach a much wider audience and make the thing, the projects I want to make happen. Mm-hmm. And so when Donald Trump went to ban TikTok, I was sitting at about 250,000 followers and my YouTube was still at about 15K. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, what if this actually goes through and all of this growth I've achieved, like it was like striking gold and then having it taken away. Yeah. I think I might have quit content creation if that had happened. I was that like crestfallen. Mm. And I don't know if I would have because I had five years of work doing it, but I wasn't going anywhere on YouTube. So thankfully it did not come to pass and I don't have to know what I would have done in that situation. Yeah. I mean, that's a big reason why I I didn't like invest my time into TikTok. Cause I was like, I heard about it because of the news and also just through some friends actually getting into it because of quarantine. Um, so it was really like a big debate of, do I want to invest hours and hours and hours or should I just wait for the storm to pass? Um, which it thankfully has. I took one Saturday where I literally sat on my couch, downloaded every TikTok video I had and re-upload it to a rival app that would still be up and running if TikTok was taken down. Mm. So that was a waste of a Saturday. <laughs> but it doesn't hurt. And... Just in case. And uh, I was just pushing people to YouTube. I was saying, hey, if TikTok goes, I'm on YouTube. Head over there. Mm. Do it. Do it. Yeah. That's something I feel like is really, really hard. um, Is really trying to move audiences from one platform to the other. Um, It seems like you're doing a pretty decent job, though. The the fact that your YouTube's doubled in size, though, um, through TikTok. I'm actually pretty shocked uh, that that much people have come from tiktok and it's it's upkeep once a week i'll make a video about it and usually those videos are lesser seen because less people are interested Mm -hmm. but a certain percent of the viewers five to ten percent for each video will make the jump and bit by bit it'll grow like this week i made a video saying hey 
I will post a public link to a Site42 Discord server if we get up to 100k, if we get the silver play button. Mm -hmm. And off of that, uh, that video was seen by 25,000 people and 2,000 of them jumped over to YouTube. So in one day, we boosted 2,000 subscribers. Wow, that's great. And so, and so that's going to boost YouTube ad revenue. Um, oh, and this brings us to the final spoke of the question, making money on TikTok. Yes, yeah. So uh, TikTok, up until recently, only had the creator marketplace. Mm-hmm. The marketplace is a brand deal marketplace where brands will reach out to you through the TikTok app to make a deal on this amount of money for X amount of videos. Mm. And you can't use copyrighted music. You have to use the commercial option music only, stuff like that. Okay. But that was really the only way to leverage your TikTok audience into money until this summer where TikTok just took a big chunk of money. I think it was like $200 million at first. Mm. And they're planning to inflate it to a billion dollars over the next year or two. Wow. And they established what they call the Creators Fund. Mm -hmm. The TikTok Creators Fund, you join it once you have 10,000 plus followers Mm -hmm. and like another metric. And then based on your views, likes, comments, shares, watch time, and I think follower growth is actually a metric as well. Mm. You will get a certain cut of that money. Mm. And for most people, it's something like 50 cents to a dollar a day. Mm. Uh, I have at my best somehow gotten up to like 20 bucks in one day Mm. on like a particularly viral day. Yeah. And so it fluctuates up and down, up and down. Uh, There is a lot of controversy with the Creators Fund because there are claims that people have joined the Creators Fund And then their views have plummeted. Hmm. Almost like TikTok is throttling creators fund creators so they don't have to pay as much. Yeah. Now, I cannot find evidence of this. I have not seen any. Hank Green himself has said that there's no evidence for it. Hmm. Pardon me. Uh, Hank Green has run an experiment of going on the fund, going off the fund, checking his average views and not seeing a difference Hmm. it is so common for creators to see a drop in views and think it is an and think it's an outside source rather than their content being less interesting this round Mm -hmm. and superstitions and witch hunts like this happen all the time yeah which is why i haven't left the fund there was for me a huge huge dip in views and such that happened right after I joined the fund. Mm -hmm. But in the last couple weeks, it's up again. I'm having a wave of good stuff. So it's here or there. It could be the fund is doing something or it could not be. But at this point, it's a little extra change on TikTok. The people going to YouTube are getting ad revenue over there. So that's a little extra change. I have so many more followers on TikTok and Business-wise, if you're thinking about it like this, every follower is a .001% chance of getting a new patron. Mm. And patrons are consistent, and it keeps you going without the fret of ad revenue or the creator's fund. Yeah. 
And so, as a content creator, your main goal, if you want to build something like I'm trying to build, has got to be to to diversify. Mm -hmm. You need to get ad revenue. You need to get view revenue. You need to build a Patreon. You need to get merch. You need to get a Kofi. You need to do everything you can to have easy routes to support you. Yeah. And then every new follower is a roll of the dice like any percent roll in a D&D game. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I didn't know actually about the Creator Fund. Um, how, how recent is that? Is that like the past few months? Yeah, I think it was like probably August is when oh, it started. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that's pretty recent. Yeah. Um, and the Creator's Fund, it keeps track of your cash for a month. And then 30 days after the month ends you're allowed to withdraw the crap cash. Mm. So August money is accrued. Then you wait through September, accruing September money. And at the end of September, August money is withdrawable. Mm. So after the first month of skipping, you are now able to monthly withdraw funds. All right. So yeah, it's similar to YouTube in a sense in that way. Um, yeah. It's just ad revenue versus whatever metric TikTok's doing. It basically works out the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's actually pretty promising. I mean, I'm assuming, ideally, the bigger the fund gets, um, the more money you'll get from the fund. But also at the same time, the bigger the fund gets means the more, you know, time passes. And as time passes, there's gonna be more and more bigger uh, creators. So I'm curious if that will balance out, and you'll just be paying the same, or if you actually will end up making more through TikTok. Who knows? But exactly and i gotta wonder what the numbers of people with millions of followers is compared to the numbers of people in hundreds of thousands it's gotta yeah. be a very different number mm -hmm. no, of course yeah um just one clarification clarification i just want to throw out uh before we completely move from this topic with the uh the, the tiktok ban stuff uh so from what i heard i like i have a limited uh perspective of this i'm not like an expert on the topic but what I heard, a big reason why there was push in the U.S. government um, to ban TikTok is because, uh, like you mentioned, the the data, uh, taking the data. and But specifically, so for people who don't understand um, like business in China, um, and I have a bit background of this just because I've researched and I have some friends in China, so that's kind of why I've learned about this stuff. But pretty much all major, com well, all, literally all major com com uh, com companies, because China is a communist country and not a capitalist country, uh, country they all have a direct uh tie to the communist government so they all have a communist uh, party member on their company chair um they're all like directly tied and interacting and have say within the business so that was why there was a social, uh, national security concern uh, was because they weren't sure if the chinese government would then use tiktok kind of similar to huawei like there's been security concerns with huawei where the fact that if you have a Chinese government building four and five G um, networks, does not open up those networks to cyber attacks from that country. So just kind of similar concerns to the Huawei stuff. Um, and now, the, and the two things, the yeah. two things I'll note are okay. Is there's more? Yeah, just the one last thing is um, the reason how they fixed the air quotes is that basically Walmart and another American company own a piece of TikTok America now, which keeps which essentially makes it separate from the chinese government now from my understanding i think that's what they did right so what happened is when musically existed mm -hmm. which was the genesis of tiktok musically was bought 
by ByteDance, the Chinese company. Yeah. And that is when Musical.ly became TikTok. Now, it's important to point out that just like most apps in America, if you go into China, they don't use that app. They use a Chinese equivalent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are no Chinese viewers of my TikToks because they use the Chinese TikTok. Yep. Uh, there's no YouTube in China. There's the Chinese equivalent. Yeah, Billy Billy. So, like yep. So what America was claiming is what you said, that TikTok was funneling information to Chinese company, to the Chinese government. And what TikTok is claiming was happening is that the information was being taken, but it was only staying in the American servers. Yeah. American mm-hmm. data was not going to the Chinese branch. And at the point of the bans the Trump administration was going for, they didn't have evidence that any data was going to China at all. Mm-hmm. They just said it must be. And TikTok as a business was saying, it's not. Here's our proof. Here's our lawsuit because you didn't even look into it. You're just saying things. Yeah. But rather than fight it out in court, rather than finalize the ban, we had uh, those American companies buy in, which created a sense of security that the thing that wasn't, quote, happening wasn't actually happening. Yeah. So it's basically a hunch. Um, Exactly. I will say... um, and I, I don't want to get too into this politics, I guess. It's not it's not a political thing, so that's why I think it's fine bringing it up. But I just say, like, obviously, they're two superpowers. They're competing. Um, and they, for people who don't know, surprise, surprise, America and China actively spy on each other. Um, so they're very uh, paranoid about um, what one could have another advantage of um, in the sense of the whole um, internet spying uh, battleground. So I, I understand why they're just like, better safe than sorry let's just get rid of this uh app uh so that's i think kind of probably what their perspective was on the thing um and now that they have american companies directly involved although in my opinion it probably doesn't change anything (laughs) um yeah but i think that's why they're like okay it's it's okay now for uh whatever reason yeah as i said when i was worrying about my own privacy mm-hmm. the way that the american government spies on us all that patriot act yeah, stuff that NSA, never yeah. actually went away mm-hmm. i'm just kind of like okay i'm being spied on by everybody i'm being followed all of my i think google and facebook are spying on us worse than the governments are right oh, now. 100 100 and so it's just like if you want to exist today we've either we've got to like codify what privacy is we've got to codify where it is and we're nowhere near having that conversation in our governments right now because mm-hmm. we're too busy fighting with each other. And in America, we're too busy fighting over the two parties. So at this point, I've just kind of got to live and let live and do do what I can to selfishly get by and get my goals co- to completion. There's a, I, th- I think it's called The Social Dilemma. There's a really interesting podcast uh, documentary on Netflix about this stuff. So if you haven't seen that, I would definitely recommend you check it out. Name it one more time. The Social Dilemma. Um, it's The Social Dilemma. Got it's it. It's more focused actually on the psychology of um, like basically so for people who don't know, Google, Facebook, all these Silicon Valley companies, they use actual psychology when designing and coding these programs. Um, so they consciously are studying like, oh, if we design the app this way, it's more addictive this way because it 
gives you a bigger dopamine hit or things like that. But it doesn't satisfy you enough for you to leave the pod, uh, the the app, uh, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> slip there. Um, but uh, so that that's just like I think that documentary. I really recommend it because it kind of makes you aware of a lot of the tricks and also kind of points into the ways of the information they are tracking from you that allows them to manipulate you even more um, to keep you on that app because all they really care about is the amount of time that you're on their app. Nothing else matters to them. Because as long as you're on the app, you are getting exposed to their ads and you are making them money. Exactly, yeah. So I feel like if you want to be an educated consumer or just educated in general, it's really important to like know about these things. Oh my God. Okay, so this is my last rant on privacy and fucking Facebook. Uh... <laughs> So I, I keep all of my social medias very separate for my separate audiences. I only use Facebook for people I know from back home in Florida hmm. or people I know in person. I do not have a public Facebook page because I want that for friends and family. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, that's for the public. That's for my art, but only friends and family on Facebook. But... I noticed, and this might be me superstitioning, being superstitious, or this might just be the insidious nature of fucking Facebook, uh, that every time I close the app, Mm -hmm. it seems like there's a new notification of someone else commenting on someone else's status nowadays to bring me back in to check my goddamn red circle. No, that's that's 100% intentional, yeah. They they go into the documentary, mm -hmm. so you're you're not crazy for thinking that. So yeah, it's and hopefully as content creators, we can do this in a non-evil way yeah. mm-hmm. to interact with our fans and help grow our situations. I don't want to manipulate anybody, but I do want to make my things easily accessible and communicate communicate clearly so that everyone knows what they're getting from me and therefore we're all working together on the project. Yeah, I definitely think there's an ethical way to go about it because we are definitely still providing value to people. I think there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're nearing the end of the podcast. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to shout out? Well, uh, let's see. Shout out wise, I mean, if you are not, follow me on Site42's YouTube and TikTok. Uh, become a patron. I greatly appreciate that. Um, brain, brain, brain. Uh, and go check out the SCPs I've written. I've written six different SCPs. They're on my SCP author page. If you re, if you Google the Sherm SCP, you'll probably get my YouTube or my TikTok first. But somewhere is the author page. In fact, I will give you a link tree link that you can post in the thing here so that people can see all my stuff and where to go follow me. Yeah, down in the description, guys. Check it out. Um, actually, real quick, since you mentioned that, um, do you want to click like, a, a pitch on one or two of the SCPs that you've written, like what they're about? So, I've got six SCPs, and I am very good at cutting them down to one sentence, so let's go. <laughs> SCP-3086 is my first SCP. I was a YouTuber at the time, so I decided that if I was going to write an SCP and join the community, I wanted to work my gimmick of audio. So it is a audio-only SCP... Although there is written text of the recording, that way you can read it if you're not able to listen, of an SCP named George the Chinchilla, a fictional character who comes to life if you write about or draw him, and he takes over the page to pitch you 
the story of his Walt Disney-esque creator, who was kind of a dick. Mm. Um, SCP-3302 is a DVD of The Office that if you watch it, it makes you do the gym look every time someone says something dumb around you. You don't realize it, but everyone around you thinks you're a dick because of it. Uh, SCP-3802 is Datto. If you Mm. are familiar with the popular parapharmacologist, Datto made a hair tonic, H-A-R-E, where if you put it on a cancer patient's head because they've had their head shaved, they're bald, the kid will grow a hair out of their head. (laughs) And if you put it on adults... Well, it wasn't made for adults. Don't do that. It won't go well. Uh, Ignorance is Bliss is the only tale I've written. It is a... It is what happens if Terminator and the Matrix happened at the same time. Hmm. Oh, and Memento. It's Terminator, the Matrix, and Memento at the same time. The world has ended. One mobile task force guy is trying to save the day, but because the enemy comes at you every time you know about them, he keeps having to self-amnesticize so that they leave him alone. Hmm. So he doesn't know what to do, but he has to finish his mission somehow. Um, 5886 is what if the Flash couldn't control his powers and it's really sad. Hmm. And SCP-2700-EX is my most popular article. It is a Foundation researcher who makes up a fake SCP so he can use his foundation resources to try and cure cancer. And because it's the foundation, it doesn't go well. Yeah, I like that one, uh, the last one a lot. I think it's a really cool concept. Much appreciated. So that's that. That's the podcast. Thank you, Sherm, for going on. We did it! Again, links in the description to check out all Sherm's stuff. Um, Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Had a blast. Nice to sit back and chat for a while. All right. See you guys. Cheers, audience.